0: Welcome to the AKC podcast, an audio resource for staff at King's College London, following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explores diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. This semester's lecture series, entitled Power to the People, Identity, Difference and Inequality, has been coordinated by Dr Kate Kirkpatrick. Handouts, presentation slides and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area.
1: Thank you. Good afternoon. It is my pleasure to be here this afternoon and I have to thank the AKC Team for inviting me to give this lecture. So, as has been said, I'm Sarita Allen. I'm the Acting Associate Director of Student Success. My usual role at King's is the Head of Student Outcomes, and I've been at the university for just over four years now. And I have a confession to make, and that is that when I was invited to give this lecture, I really wrestled with whether to do it or not. And the first reason was because... I'm eight months pregnant, and it's not traditionally something you do when you're that close. Thank you. And the second reason is because I'm not an academic. I'm not not a lecturer, so what gives me the credentials to to give you this lecture this afternoon? But the reason that I agreed to do it was because as a, a black woman who's grown up in South London, issues of identity, equality and difference have followed me my whole life. And I've often actively engaged with these discussions, be that in work, at home, with friends, but I also work in a field which is all about inclusion and how we can support creating inclusive environments. I also worked at the Black Cultural Archives for a number of years, and built up their Schools and Young People's Programme. And so I thought, whilst I don't have the the academic credentials, actually, I've lived this and I've worked through this for a number of years. and, And so that is what I'm going to share with you this afternoon. So the title of the lecture, Culture Eats Strategy for Breakfast, How to Build an Inclusive University. So what has culture got to do with strategy? Many of you will know or have seen this vision statement. Can I get a wave of hands if you've seen this, if this is familiar to you? Okay, great. So this is King's vision for 2029. We have a new strategy in place which takes us up to King's College London's 200th birthday. And the vision is to make the world a better place. What I find quite exciting about this strategy, and, and no strategies aren't usually exciting, but what I find exciting about this is when they were doing the consultation work, talking to staff and students about what our strategy should look like, what education and research came up as the kind of primary things that we do, there was also this idea around service. This idea that not only are we here to educate students and, and do world class research, but we're here to serve society, to make the world a better place. And whilst that's about kind of going out and supporting through health and other matters, it's also about what we're doing internally as a university. How are we making Kings a better place to work and to study? And at this time, there are lots of threats to this strategy. There are lots of opportunities, but there are also a lot of threats. It's a time of great political instability. I will say the B word once and for the final time for this lecture. It's a time of global competition, increasing competition in the UK amongst universities, but also uh, across the world. But I think there's an overlooked Threat to Vision 2029, and that is the culture of our university, and primarily whether we have an inclusive culture at King's or not. And so, the quote, which uh, I put in the title because I thought it sounded a little bit sexy Culture Eat Strategy for Breakfast, it comes from Peter Drucker, and he is a management um, theorist. He's, he's dubbed as the father of post war. Management thinking. He is, is said to have said it, and it was made famous by Mark Field, who was the chief exec of Ford. And at the heart of it, it means well, you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have the culture within your organization, a healthy culture which helps your workers to thrive, forget about the strategy. It will fail. And I think it's the same for us here at King's. We can have the best strategy in vision 2029 it can be implemented very well but if we don't have an inclusive culture amongst our staff and our students we will not make the world a better place so how do we define inclusive culture if i had if we had a little bit more time i would ask you that question what you believe inclusion to be and i i invite you to consider that after this lecture as well But essentially, there are are four ways, I think, or three ways, to think about inclusion. So the first image shows exclusion. And often when we think about perhaps boards with a lack of diversity, we're talking about exclusion. But the three other images are all different versions of diversity. So diversity exists in all of them. The first shows separation. Separation. Um, And when we think about separation, historically, we think about apartheid South Africa, we think about segregation in the States. But a little bit closer to home, you could also think about gentrification across London and the fact that you go to a place which is incredibly diverse, like London, but you'll see people from particular income groups and people from particular ethnicities eating in certain areas, shopping in certain areas, and essentially living different lives alongside each other in different places. The third image is integration. And so we see the red dots in the middle, and and these people are at the heart of an organisation or a group. They are the ones who are the most included. And you see the green dots on the outside, and, and those are those who are not as included and trying to get into the middle And often people's experience of work is like this, that they are welcomed into the place of work and they are able to move towards the middle, towards the center of inclusion, as long as they fit in, as long as they assimilate, as long as their accent is right, as long as they talk about the right hobbies and interests, as long as their appearance, what they wear, how they present their hair or other features fits in with what the culture of that organisation dictates. And often within workplaces, but also sometimes within educational organisations, we see this version of diversity. It's okay to be part of the organisation, but you must look and think like the dominant culture. And then the final image is one of inclusion. And in this image, all the dots are mixed around. And this shows what traditionally we think about when we talk about inclusion. Everybody at the heart of the organization. Everybody able to contribute fully. And this is often what we think of when we talk about high-performance culture. And there are a couple of other ways in which we think about inclusion. This image is taken from a paper on education. Typically, inclusion is studied in the fields of education, sociology, and business management. But it's also really present within the arts. And I think the reason for that is because it's at the heart of what it means to be human. And so I've taken these four questions from Maya Angelou, And she wrote these four questions to ask about relationships. And the first is, do you see me? Often when we talk about diversity and inclusion, one of the concerns that is raised often by women in meetings is that they raise an idea, but it's not until a man raises the idea that that idea is acknowledged and encouraged. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Am I visible? The second question is, do you care that I'm here? King's is a very diverse organization, has very diverse students and very diverse staff. Is that something that's valued by the organization? Does it matter? The third question is, am I enough for you or do you need me to be better in some way? And that really comes back to that point around integration and assimilation am I enough as I am or do I need to change in order to fit in? And the fourth, can I tell that I'm special to you by the way that you look at me? And whilst these questions are are very much about relationships and and lots of psychotherapists have referred to them, they can also be used and adapted for an organisational context in order to talk about value and visibility. And at King's, we're really fortunate in that we have a what works department, and they have been set up specifically to think about how students succeed at university and to support practitioners, both academics and professional services, to ensure that all students can succeed to the best of their ability. And they have been considering the issue of belonging and have essentially come up with a number of measures for us to understand how included a student at kings feels at the university they've done a number of research around these questions to understand how inclusive we are and our hope is that as we put together more proactive approaches to inclusion <laughs> that we'll see those levels of inclusion increasing but what the definitions i've covered previously do not include is any reference to power Power is often not spoken about when we talk about inclusion. A a metaphor about inclusion is, well, diversity is inviting someone to the party and inclusion is inviting them to dance. But I would say actually inclusion is a bit more than that. Inclusion is is being on the organising committee for that party. It is not merely being invited, but it's doing the inviting True inclusion must have some aspect of decision-making within it. True inclusion means having some agency and some ability to create positive change, be that in an organisation, an institution, or a group. Anything else, I argue, and a number of other academics argue, is superficial or something along the way towards inclusion. So... Why does it matter? Why is inclusive culture important? Well, for a number of years, and, and many of you will recognise this phrase, we've been talking about the business case for diversity. And to put it in a, in a crass way, the idea is that if you have a diverse staff population, or indeed student population, that your business, your organisation will be more successful. Because people from different backgrounds bring different experiences and perspectives. That creates innovation. And in a global economy, that's really important. And there's been some evidence for this, that more diverse companies are more successful. But there's also been some contradictory evidence. All of the arguments seem to point to the fact that having diversity isn't enough but that you need inclusion as well, because if people don't feel able to contribute their diverse perspectives, then it's useless. But most people are coming around to the idea that actually this argument isn't sufficient. The business case for diversity is not enough. And Caitlin Rosenthal, who is an academic from the States who studies Atlantic slave trade, puts it really well and quite starkly that actually the slave trade was one of real innovation. It was incredibly profitable for those who were involved in it. And to suggest that innovation must include inclusion is wrong. And so it's not enough for us to talk about the business case. We also have to talk about what is ethical and what is morally right. But in a university setting, it's even more important. Not just ethically and morally, but because we know that belonging and academic success are intrinsic to one another. The research shows that if you feel a greater sense of belonging to an organisation, to your university, that you are more likely to succeed in your studies. And that is because you're more likely to be motivated and you're more likely to want to stay at that university. And so the research has linked students' sense of inclusion with retention. And so for us at King's, this is a matter of equity. This is a matter of ensuring that all of our students are having an equitable experience whilst they're here at the university. But it doesn't just affect those who are not part of the dominant culture, who you might say are are a part of underrepresented groups. It affects all of us. Because when staff or students don't feel like they are able to contribute fully to their studies, to their work, we all miss out. We miss out on their contribution. And that affects our own success as well. So if inclusion requires power. What is an approach to building inclusive culture with power at King's? Well, there are a number of different ways in in which you can build inclusive culture, and the Student Success Department is just one of many partners across the university who are working towards this aim. Later, you will hear from Sarah Guerra, who is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion, and and I'm pleased is here this afternoon as well. You'll also hear from Fumi Alonisakin, who's the vice-principal of International, who is leading on work to do with cultural competency to ensure that all of our staff and students are able to understand people from different perspectives and work effectively with people from different backgrounds. There are a number of different approaches, but I'm going to describe one this afternoon, and that is community organising. And the reason that I've chosen to talk about community organizing is because it builds power as well as inclusive culture. How many people have heard of community organizing before? Can I have a show of hands? Okay, a few. Great. So the principle behind community organizing is something that most people can agree with. The idea that the world as it is now is not the world as it should be that the world in which we live in is not perfect, that we have inequality, that we have huge difficulties with the environment, that political power is not equally distributed. Some of the most famous organizers, uh, community organizers, are Barack Obama and Martin Luther King uh, with the Civil Rights Movement. And they all started with the premise that there was something wrong with society. And there are many ways in which you can create change. But mostly, in order to create change, you need to get power. And often when we think about power, we think about power-hungry dictators. We think about people who gain power for their own benefit and motivations. But power is essential if we want to create change in society. And there are different ways in which we can accumulate power. One way is, is through wealth. Another is through gaining political positions, uh, and I say political with a small p, be that in politics or in in other organisations. But the way in which community organising talks about gaining power is through relationship. Not through relationship over people, but through relationship with people. The premise that when you speak to other people, And understand what your mutual interest is. That you will be able to join together. That you will be able to create a movement which then leads to change. Why power through relationships? Because relational culture is accessible to everyone. Not everyone will become very wealthy. And not everyone will gain political power or power in other organisations. everyone is able to create relationships with other people. And paradoxically, perhaps, community organisers suggest that you create power by talking about your self-interest. They suggest that it's only when you're able to understand what motivates you, what drives you, what your deepest values are, that you're able to appreciate what connects you in the deepest of ways to other people. It starts with understanding your own self-interest. When we do this, we can then start to ask other people what their self-interest is. And once we've done that, we begin to understand what we are mutually interested in. And what's quite exciting about this methodology is it goes beyond what we often do in this culture which is very transactional conversations when you started at university you probably answered the same questions over and over again so what course are you studying where do you live and these questions are laid nothing about who you are as a person about what drives you about what you want to change in the world Whereas the relational conversation gets to the core of what it is for you to be human. And what's exciting about that is it brings together groups of people to work for a common purpose that traditionally you would think might not work together. One of the most successful campaigns for the community organising charity, which we're partnering with, Citizens UK, is the London Living Wage. And that started by cleaners coming together in an organization and using their relational power in order to influence chief execs, but also other cleaners influencing vice principals in universities in order to get a living wage. This is now in place uh, for many organizations, and is widely respected and and recognized, and and King's is also a living wage employer today. But that just gives you a taste of of what you're able to achieve through this methodology of relational power. And one of the tools which they use within community organizing is the stick person. And uh, what I want to do is encourage you after this lecture to go away and to talk to someone who you don't know that well, who you don't know that that deeply, and start talking about some of the answers to these questions. Who are the most important people to you? How do you spend your time, your money? What are your core values? And what are the things you wish that you could change if you had the power? What's interesting about when we have these conversations is sometimes you've never thought about the answers to these questions. But often it's surprising what you have in common with other people around you. And so I'd encourage you to have a go at this conversation in your own time. But essentially what these questions do is help us to go under the iceberg, under the iceberg of our ordinary conversations and support us to think about what the things are that drive us that we can work together on in order to build change. And there are two very practical ways in which you can be part of one of these conversations, but also in which you can be part of a growing movement to build a more inclusive culture here at King's. The first one is conversations about race. This is a programme which is brand new to King's, which we piloted last year. And essentially, what we have been hearing from students, but also staff, is one of a few things. One is, do you know what? As a university, we just don't talk about race. We ignore it. We pretend it doesn't exist. The second is race affects my experience at university, but it's not something that's acknowledged. The third is when race is talked about, it's talked about in a way that is not very sensitive or inclusive, or often it becomes quite a combative conversation. And so conversations is about, about race is an opportunity for staff and students to come together to have an open and honest dialogue about race and how that affects their experience here at King's, but also what it would mean to create a more inclusive culture around race at the university. And there will be events happening across the different faculties in September and October. So I encourage you to have a look and to sign up for this. The other opportunity is Campus Conversations. And the aim of this project is to build a more relational culture amongst our students at King's. And through Campus Conversations, you'll be able to have one of those relational conversations, which I referred to earlier, with someone who you might typically not meet, someone who's not necessarily from your course or or living in the same accommodation as you or, or whatever that might be, but to start building relationship across different boundaries that there are at King's. And so I encourage you to have a look and and to sign up to one of these. So to conclude this afternoon, a healthy culture is vital to a successful strategy. And for us here at King's, that means an inclusive culture. An inclusive culture encourages equity in academic success. And that's important for all of us, not just underrepresented groups. But inclusive culture requires power, and power can be built through a community organising approach to building relational power. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking.